Hey everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today I'm talking to Christian Santic, a dancer, theater maker, gardener, and, well, many things, but we get into that a bit later. Today we talk about liminality, the void between things, and disparity in how different political sides are communicating, particularly in regards to the quite timely plebiscite. Um, And we even touch a little on uh, how sort of political correctness and money combined together seem to be leading, at least in correlation, to work that isn't so good, that doesn't know its audience. We speak on that quite a bit in this podcast. Now, before we begin... Uh, here's some regular housekeeping. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can visit us at houseconspiracy.org to learn more about our artists and to see how we can support you. Now, on to the show. Christian Studio 3 is a blank Studio 3. There's a curtain blocking out the light that would come through the front doors and a plywood board sitting in the corner next to the window. There are these dark grey marks all over the walls that weren't there before, scattered all the way up and along the three metre high VJs. These, Christian tells me, are body paint marks. Dispersed violently as they are, it makes sense that Christian's naked painted form is that of the bull. When he's here, he bounds around the room, loud and intense, trying to unlock the secret of the form he's trying to achieve. In this interview, he says that by the end of this month-long residency, he'll have 15% of a show and 5% of the research necessary to do the show well. So as you can tell from that, Christian is incredibly considered, and it comes across in his tone too. And now, here he is, tone and all, Christian Santa. Are you full full time artist at this I point am. in your career? I am full time, yeah. And what's been what's been sort of the the journey, the I imagine quite longish or mid length journey towards sort of reaching that point? Um, so I would say a few things, a few things kind of nailed it for me in terms of like becoming a full-time artist and it was working with, I would say, the right people. So when I came back to Brisbane, I'd been overseas for four months working with a theatre company, dance theatre company in America called Double Edge Theatre Company. And um, I came back and worked with Alex Podger. He works Woodford Fire Fire Event. Um, And we did this show for Anywhere Theatre Festival called Little Boxes. That was in 2014. And... um, it got good good crowds, fantastic photos, and from that I, I worked. Um, a person named Kate Usher saw me in that show and gave me a Brisbane Festival gig, which was six weeks of work. Um, and from that I've just been kind of rolling with the punches. I spent another about eight months after that in hospitality, which um, I should say that, like, I have no issue with like flitting back and forth between working whatever I need to to make money. And it's to often, make that's often the way it that, is, right? That's, of, that's often the way it is and I find it problematic if people or if I was to see myself regressing if I was to do another workforce. I think we're all just spending time in different things. So after that, I did the BrizFest gig and from that I've just been kind of um, working with different people from there. And yeah, I'm here now. Yeah, so much. 
So do you, do you, speaking on that sort of flipping back and forth, um, do you, do you see sort of a point in your career where, where you won't, and I know, I know we're not looking at it negatively, but where you won't have to do that, where you'll sort of have the point, like, do you think that's, that's possible? Uh, I think it's definitely possible. I think my choice would be, um, would be, no, I, I don't like stability. Okay. even if it is just an artistic venture. But then again, like, I like stable creativity. So every job is creative, I think, or I believe, or I hold that belief that everything is creative. Now, in the arts field, there are jobs I do through the year, like Oktoberfest, where I'm building things where it's creative, but it doesn't feel artistic. So I'm building a festival with probably... Uh, 25, 30, 40 other people to get this festival up and running and then there's maintenance and then I go to St Kilda and do site logistics so like I like that work because I get to work with people that do that full time and it's that thing of like I like variety a lot more than stability, more than money so if I can choose variety and get the luxury of choosing what I want to do then other parts of my life will be able to modify to make that happen. So, like, that's why I haven't done hospitality in so long is because I've been able to live happily on an unstable budget, but that comes at sacrifices that I'm naturally accustomed to now. Right. So was it was it a bit of, like, a, a building process, like building up to being able to be, be comfortable with that, that instability? For sure. What, for sure. what were it's some of the muscle. struggles? Sorry? What were some of the struggles that you sort of had to... So money. Money was the biggest one. Another one is like anxiety that you don't have work. And that, that one's constant. That one's like a wave. That one comes in and goes out. Um, yeah, other ones is um, this necessity for definition. And I hate it. I don't like definitions. I think they're so imprisoning and like definition of yourself. Uh, yeah, and definition your of yourself. Your what do you do? Who are you? What do you make? And it's that thing of like um, boxing people in little boxes. Yeah, box, yeah, exactly. Boxing people in, and you only become exactly what you tell people you are. And I yes, think that's that really true. problematic to say like, "Oh, I'm a dancer, but I do more than that." You know, like I like gardening. Why am I not a gardener? You know, but. That's because of our system of language and our system of our system of structure and our system of workforces and how some are leveled higher than other. And again, that's problematic. So there's struggles with that as well. But I think at the moment, and it'll change over time for sure, but at this moment I'm quite content with the ebb and flow of different career choices and different jobs I'm doing and um, I've really kind of honed in on where I need to put my energy if something's lacking in my life. For example, if I want more artistic jobs, quote, end quote, um, or inverted commas or whatever, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, I work or put my energy in this way. If I want to collaborate more, I put my energy in this way. If I want to build more stuff, I put it this way. If I want to garden this, this, this. So I think back to the question is like it is a muscle to build up those resiliences or even coming to peace with it maybe it's not resilience maybe it's a letting go of resistance 
Right, like a, like a, like building a, rather instead of resistance, like an activeness around the direction of energy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you have this multiplicity of self, right? Um, do you see a value in shorthanding yourself, like saying I'm Christian and I'm X? And when when you have to do that, what what do you say? Does it change depending on sort of the context, what you want out of the engagement? Or? The performative self, yeah, for sure. It's a it, that's a performance, and that also feels at times a survival instinct. So I do do that. Like it doesn't mean I like it. It means I do it. Mostly when I say survival, I mean survival in a socio-cultural or socio-economic sense, not the sense of my physical life is in danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the sense of like when you go maybe to an opening night and you're meeting someone new and they have a name and then they ask you what you do, and you know that you're pitching yourself. Yes, right. So you can't be as um, airy-fairy, for lack of a better word, as I like to be, to be like, oh, I don't like definitions, because <laughs> you're really cutting off, again... You know that, despite your face. Yeah, exactly, that direction of energy towards getting more work. And sometimes it's through, um, through more definition than lack thereof. Because maybe working with that person, that is the right platform to show that you have a multiplicity. You're yeah, not just exactly. the one thing, but the, the one thing is almost like, like, a, like a key to a door, which is the room of the self. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. And um, do, you, do you find that sort of pitching yourself get, gets easier over time? No. No. No, definitely not. I find it harder because definitely this year and last I've been going through, um, I would say, transitions or opening more doors um, to what I do in terms of professional development, in terms of what I'd like to make. And that makes it harder because the more open it is, the more the more difficult it is to find maybe an identity that, especially in Brisbane, is, I would say, advantageous. Um, I feel, and I say this a lot, that dancers consider me a theatre maker and theatre makers consider me a dancer. And I don't like pigeonholing, but that's that's the milieu I'm in. That's is, the culture I'm in. Is that what you're talking about when, when, when you talk about sort of your obsession with the other? Is that when you're in these spaces, you're othered in a way yeah exactly and i like being in that limbo that that liminal space between like i'm to dancers i'm a theater person but that just opens more level for more doors for surprise and surprise in the sense of maybe in their own perception but also in me trying to fight against or maybe even the challenge of like maybe there is a definitive self and there is something I can't escape. Where does your instinct, does your instinct say that there's a definitive self or that the definitive self itself is multiplicity, Jesus Christ? Yep. Um, I would say that there, like, like the universe we see or like, like um, the atmosphere, there's an edge. And I don't know where the edge is. I just do believe it's there, but within it is a huge atmosphere. So I believe the definitive self does have 
many different things, but you're trapped in that at least. You're trapped in that multiplicity, but it's not infinite. There might be infiniteness in maybe five or ten years when I keep researching this and keep discovering new ways. And I have seen shows or moments, flickers of the infinite in work. But in myself, in my own practice, I believe I am not at the stage that I have cracked that. Or if I have, I haven't been aware. It's that thing of um, the tree falling in the woods. Maybe I have found the infinite self, but no one's been around to witness it. Yeah. You know? Do you, do you, do you think the infinite self is possible? And if so, on what, on what level does it exist? Because... Physically, we're obviously limited. Not, not biologically. I don't think. I think maybe neurobiologically, bio, um, physically, no. But it's in that space of um, consciousness, subconsciousness. So, I've been reading a lot of Nietzsche. I've been reading a lot of Freud. Yeah, I was so, going to say with the other Lacan it, yeah, would be coming yeah, up exactly. So, looking at the Overman as well. This idea, like, there's a there's a rope between man and self and that is an abyss. So in that abyss is maybe the answer or even a flicker of that. And do you think, you know, now that Nietzsche's on the table, would achieving the infinite be a good thing for one's psyche or would it yeah, be? Yeah, personal growth. Yeah, so he talks it's, about it's, personal growth and I think it's important too and I think um, bringing it back to the here and now, looking at, just looking at this structure of this um, this vote and this this time we have of this condemnation and this closing off, even of both sides, I think there's both sides, I mean left and right um, mm-hmm. values, is that we are constantly, um, again, definitions, constantly um, creating a bigger void between and the venturing in inside of that void is only surface level now because people go to different systematic structures of confrontation. Yes. Or they use the same words, they use the same language and also the same forms, social media being the biggest, uh, media in itself. Um, so my work and what I'm creating in this room next to me, Bull, is a work that ventures into that liminal space and looks at the complexity and even gentleness of that space and how, like Nietzsche talks about the overman, we can maybe get over what moral is, what right and wrong is, because they could be, um, they could be, just man-made, right and wrong, good and bad. Well, that's that's what Nietzsche says, and exper- um, I'm experimenting with that concept within a liminal space. And I will preface that the work isn't political, but people can use that. People will inevitably use that lens. I essentially, in these three weeks, I'm not tackling the politicization of the the nude white male body i'm merely looking at different different avenues in liminal spaces that will bring us to that sort of place of 
in this liminal space? How can we watch that and then go away and talk to someone that's voting no, for example, and or not voting at all? And how can we structure our conversations in a way, uh, in a different way? I'm not going to prescribe which way, just different, different to yourself, different to them, different to how you ever envisioned it. Right, in a, in a way where, where the meeting in the, mi- the middle, the liminal space, is on equal ground and in a way where we're actually talking to and not past one another. Because yeah. what you just said before about like we're using the same words, like you, you seem to be hinting at the idea that we're using the same words, but people, there's no shared understanding. There's less of a shared understanding of what words mean at the moment, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, and that, that just creates more of a world of intellectualism and then on the other side vilifying intellectualism or like yeah and antagonizing it and then antagonizing ignorance but but also kind of kind of forgetting that like with that ignorance there is a lot of pain and obstacle and things that might not be seen from the intellectual mind maybe and i think there's yeah there's so much liminal ground so much of the unknown within our confrontations between each other Mm. yeah um and moving sort of shifting onward from that bull itself so you're you're working with Bull sort of looking at this sort of idea, you know, particularly around sort of, you mentioned the plebiscite as sort of one sort of instigating thing, but Bull is, you're one of the <laughs> kind of few artists who like the project you're pursuing here is the same one you you put in your application because artists are often fluid and it's like just an idea and that's fine. But yeah, yours has stayed quite constant. So I didn't realize, for instance, that it was a naked male form that you're exploring. So you're, you're nor, in the did studio. I, nor did I when I wrote it. Um, I will say that as soon as I wrote that, um, and this is not to be um, misrepresented as cockiness or narcissism, but when I wrote that, it was my own little stoking the fire to work on this show. Yep. And even just writing the application made me go, hey, I will do that piece because it had been in my mind and ever since that day I'd been harnessing every different professional development I had done um, namely Queensland Poetry Festival I went to Gundawindi and worked with slam poets and um, I would even call them performance artists so looking at how they tackle liminal spaces and then I went to Melbourne and worked with a dance choreographer and uh theatre practitioner Prue Lang who works in Melbourne and Germany and she was working with the idea of spaciousness and elasticity in the body and through that I kind of found my own spaces of liminality within the body even though it's so full and molecularly so compact where can that invisible space be so from that I moved on and have ever since been reading up on liminality, interrelational reflexivity. So that's what we were talking about with this plebiscite is this thing of like we're reflecting on everyone saying no, but we need to reflect as a oneness as well. And that's a huge conversation, but I'll leave it at What do you mean by reflecting on a oneness? Let's open that can of worms. Yeah, uh, sure. So the idea of oneness, not self. So the idea that losing the self can actually open up a oneness – for example, 
I mean that the person next door that votes no is also you. Right, yeah, sure. And it's also us. And we are one. And as one, it doesn't need to choreographically move together. It doesn't need to directionally move in the same way. But when someone votes no, that is a one. And oneness actually opens up less of the self. So you see online someone write a post about voting yes, which is, in, in my belief, I think the, the only choice. And that's from the self, not from the one. So one's different. And then someone might go, ah, crap, this and that. You know, you can see pain, you can see reservation and fear. And they try to push that out to look strong and look like they might be representing some ideal that's some deeply ideal. seated in society that the person who's voting yes doesn't or isn't quote unquote recognizing. Yeah. And I mean, both sides of yes and no have been taught from both sides. Like I believe we are a system of education in many ways and ideals. And Which goes back and, to what you're saying about enlightenment yeah. and so on. So, but then... But this person that did say no, they've tried to distance themselves. And the person that say yes, they go the opposite way as well. So they're using the same, maybe, I won't say they, I'll say they as maybe an example that might not have happened, but just for sake of argument was they move away and they move away and there's just a bigger abyss. And it's this thing of like agree to disagree, maybe at the end of it, when really like a sense of oneness comes through the lack of self. And I don't know how over the medium of social media, because it's so self-invested, it is so like Christian Santic, this heavily curated It's It's page. personal branding. It's personal the branding. The same way, performative self. Exactly. I, uh, so, yeah, I often it's just distanced. Think of it as, uh, in a way, social media as a manifestation of the superego, right? For sure. For sure. Yeah, so... So with these two people with their superegos just going away and away from each other and just throwing throwing stones whenever they have their point, as valid or as invalid, we're just looking at structure of conversation instead of instead of a oneness. And I don't I don't have all the answers. All I know is that this idea of oneness can at least suggest a different way. Of operation, I don't know which way that is. Again, so it's um, some people could say that's very happy-go-lucky. It's very easy to say a sense of oneness, but I, I don't think it hurts to at least have the idea of oneness when you are talking to someone that their self is opposing yourself. Right, like like saying that like while this opposition exists there's this liminality which is the oneness between conscious beings yeah exactly so very carl jung this yes. idea of collective consciousness mm -hmm. and that i think we're maybe losing a lo losing that sense of collective consciousness and even the idea of collective unconsciousness and i think social media is perfect for that because how you know, how many spaces of miscommunication are there on that thing? There are so many. And yet we're like a muscle constantly working our muscles to be part of it. 
we're working so hard to be a Facebooker and an Instagrammer, and uh, we we d- like like you look in the mirror after going for a run, like you don't see it after first day, and after twelve weeks you notice a difference, but with Facebook and Instagram things are moving so quick that you don't you've just moved into that that lane of social media and those different ways of maybe disconnection but there's also but a, also connection also connection sure. but there's a, there's a duality there that I sort of maybe want you to comment on but like because it's it's not just that you've got people um, moving that it's not just that it's moving so fast because it's simultaneously moving really fast but it's also permanent mm. right like like it, it it's stuck there and there's that duality of oh it's gone but this sort of sub knowledge that no, the record is permanent. Yeah. And how do you think, do you think that, uh, that affects sort of the way we engage in that space? I do. I do because this comes back to the idea of condemnation. So, you know, I go on person X page and they might be running for a position in our society that we think, oh, they have to have a clean slate their whole life. And then you go, oh, your Facebook comment here made a comment about this minority or this one 11 years ago. And sure, it's equally valid as it is invalid. But the validity of it gets propelled more than anything. And I think it doesn't get propelled with kindness either. It doesn't get propelled with this call to arms of education and of love and kindness. It goes, you did a shit thing and we'll drag you over hot coals. I'm not trying to, I, I will preface, I will not um, say I'm empathizing with people that do things that our society considers as bad. I just think... You're not empathizing? No, I'm going to say like I'm not empathizing with... Yeah, not empathizing with people that do do wrong that our society does do wrong. But I think that the even the idea or the question of validity of people's actions over time and the idea of forgiveness, love and kindness, I think have been put to the wayside for clinical political correctness. Not all the time. And that's not a blanket statement that I believe 100% of the time. I just feel that I've seen times when there might be more room to listen, to speak, to love, even the ones you don't agree with. No, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think clinical is quite a good way of putting it. It's almost like we put people's past or even their present and, you know, stuff that people say in the present, we almost put it up to a, a checklist, right? Like, have you done X, Y, Z? That's good. Have you done ABC? That's bad. Is that something that resonates with you? Yeah, I think so. Not in my, not in my personal life. No, no, but you're perfect. Yeah, no, no, I, I definitely am a person that does not 
shy away from my own reflexivity, so looking at myself and in my community. But I do believe that within our reflexivity, but also within our condemnation, I think it is flawed because it isn't open enough. I think we do have checklists, and I think they have been used so much like a muscle that they are so strong and they have no mobility. Like a muscle, when you use it more, when you put it up against resistance, it builds lean muscle mass. And that doesn't have mobility. Your muscles shorten and they cannot stretch. Just like the checklist of morality or ethics. And I find it quite interesting, and I'll use the word conservative, even on the left side, to use that checklist. Because why does it hurt to consider other possible outcomes. And secondly, be brave enough to open that up to the person you're disagreeing with. There might be this sense of trying to win. And what do you win in the end if you're hiding information from the person that could be bettered from it? And better in the sense of their own self-growth, their own self-discovery, or even discovery from the outside in. You telling them, or you at least suggesting, hey, I was thinking this. I wanted to give you this gift of what I thought. And sure, there's, yeah, you know, there's so much more we could talk about, like how that works. But I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of that checklist going around. And even within our own community. Um, yeah, I some, mean, yeah, yeah, it's hugely, it's hugely pre- prevalent in, in the arts. And you, you can sometimes, and this this actually transitions quite nicely to what I want to talk about. You 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 can o- often see sort of big budget shows where you can see that it's been made, it's been either made or it's been chosen to be put on, or the way it's been put on has been done via a checklist. Yes. Yeah, hasn't it? And a checklist that, I mean, appeases maybe puns or easy jokes or easy things but then like the other side of the spectrum and I think this is where like business or capital and art comes together with subscribers or the sort of target audience and then you think like if you're hitting your target audience by pushing your content in such a way that you're manipulating this this now geometric structure instead of organic natural process then how faithful are you to the very topics you're talking about if you're willing to manipulate them in a way that will get bums on seats and if you aren't manipulating them in the way to get bums on seats then maybe yeah maybe the work doesn't hit all those checklists because as we know as artists, we're constantly going into those liminal spaces, those unknown places, those ways of difference and unique processes. So when I see organic shows, I see a universality in them. When I see heavily curated shows, sometimes I see universality and sometimes I see heavily manipulated shows to spoon feed a political agenda that actually comes off as cheap yeah as cheap and as like a thing of like are you 
preaching to the choir, or if it is cheap, then I even feel worse that it's happened. I feel worse that I, yeah, I, I feel like if someone, like, if someone saw this and they were on the fence of their own, like, um, oh, you know, left and right or um, liberal and more conservative, and they saw a work that was so blatant in their explanation and so... Prescriptive. So prescriptive, they might go like, yeah, they might go like, that's not... It, yeah, it doesn't seem nuanced to me. I yeah, no, yeah. And I and I, I guess like I have like a few things, so I'm going to throw a few things out there and then you can take it the direction you want to take. But like, for instance, we saw uh, a show last night, which we've sort of danced around naming. I don't know if we want to stay unnaming it because we didn't enjoy the show. Um, and maybe it's more tactful to not turn this into a review show, but that's up to you, not me. Um, and... Yeah, we didn't enjoy it, and we didn't enjoy it for a lot of the reasons that we're talking about now. And so I guess I, I want to either talk about, you know, what what maybe are some of, the, some of the trends that are happening that's sort of causing a lot of main stage theatre and a lot of theatre that's, that's, that, that's failing for the reasons you've just mentioned. What are the trends that are, that are causing that constant disappointment when you go out and spend, you know, upwards of $50 on a ticket? But also I want to talk about maybe what makes a great show and what, what are those traits, what are the traits and what kind of shows do speak to that universality and how can you speak to universality while also speaking to sort of specific topics. And I feel like you're a much, sorry, a much more developed theatre maker especially than, than, than I am and that you might have some thoughts on all of that. Okay, so uh, first and foremost I think, yeah, it is tactful and also... Um, I think good that we don't name names and actually talk about, yeah, theatre in general and give examples of the show without... Because we've seen those examples in other shows we haven't liked for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's um, not unique to yeah, what we saw. It's, it's not it's not unique, the things we didn't like. Um, I think money's a big one. I think the distribution of wealth in shows on a um, on the dollar sort of... When I say wealth, I mean dollar. I don't mean um, artistic value in the work because I found last night that the artistic value was sort of um, over overshadowed by how much money we could see. The money was visible as well. I think there's... Um, I think in works like that, the, there was no The Invisible. Now, I don't know what The Invisible is, but when you see shows, you can see it. I will name a name of a show I did love and showed The Invisible was Melanie Lane's Night Dance. It played at Art House in Melbourne, and she was investigating nightclub culture. And there were many points in the show that I believe that she cut through time and space to go into this liminal space of the infinite where it might be 3 a.m., at the nightclub and there's these creatures roaming around and she created this atmosphere and her dancers were very skilled dancers but it wasn't it didn't need to be visible because the work 
drove itself and they worked very hard to make an atmosphere and almost they just became players in it. No one stood out to be like, oh, that was a nice high kick. It was those invisible things that they worked so hard to create to make. And in the show we saw last night, everything was visible. Nothing was invisible. Nothing was kind of for me, I can only speak for myself, was under underlying, underpinning. Everything was out in the open. And sure, maybe it's the thing of maybe we go away and find what's invisible or extrapolate from there. But I think I worked really hard last night to find it. And like, how hard do I have to work for that? Right. I, I don't know. As well, a question. I mean, you should yeah. try to meet a work in the middle, you know, like, like yeah, you, you don't want, sure. you don't want to turn into one of those people who goes to, you know, Goma and goes, a child could have done that. I don't get it. You know, you have to exactly. bring yourself there, yeah. but we both understand that. And I don't, I don't think we weren't doing that. And I think I want to clarify something you were saying there. Um, when you, when you're speaking about the invisible, you're not speaking about things that aren't, um, sort of surface level, you're not talking about things that aren't aesthetic, right? Because everything you spoke about in the dance work, those are aesthetics that speak to an invisible. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So it's through the visible that the invisible can be created. Um, it, yeah, and it, I think it's a directorial, curatorial, choreographic, um, yeah, directional um, choice. I think it can be intentional. Um, when when you say what what makes good work, if I knew, I'd be trying to make it, or I'd be making it. Um, yeah, I think it is the invisible. I think I see um, great work um, from a lot of different makers, and I think that's the beauty of art is that there's not one equation in my own work. Um, what makes it good? Um, I'm not even sure yet. I think something that I really like in other people's work, namely Stephen Mitchell Wright, uh, Regan Lynch, um, Burnham Wood, um, uh, among others. So if I have left out any names, I apologize. Um, is heavy research base. There's an effort outside the room just as much as inside. Um, knowing where it's from, knowing what's come before it. Excuse me. And I see a lot of work that... Sorry, not a lot of work. I see some works that there is lacking... There is a lack of research or a lack of time, maybe. Time to find those idiosyncrasies, those invisibilities, those those strong foundations, those intentional, those intentions that are clear, transparent, but also complex. Mm. Right, and sort of like the, the, the evidence and the, the aftermath of a meditation on a subject for long enough. Yeah, that and that's why going back to the start was why when I wrote that application, I knew that even if I didn't get it, I would have to start now. I would have to start then and I did and I'm still going and I've seen that I've merely scratched the surface and when I get to performance day I'll probably have maybe 5% of the actual show or maybe 15% of the show, 5% of the research I'd need to do to make the show 
Um, so that's nice and it's nice to see where it'll go next after that because essentially this development will be to ask the big question, where next? Um, and, yeah, I'm really excited to see that. Wonderful. So I think that answers your question. Yeah. With yeah. what? It, I asked yeah. like four questions, so you did pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying my best. Uh, I want to sort of land the interview there. I mean, that's, you know, we could sign off now, but for the sake of sort of going over you as a, as a holistic person, I want to ask you just briefly, you know, following on from that idea of meditation and whatnot, I, I want to ask you briefly about gardening. I think that's, I think that's Excellent. fair to you. I'm, I'm very glad you did. Um, gardening is one of those things I love talking about. I have a friend in Melbourne and I won't say his name. He's a dear friend that I've worked with um, many times before. He's very kind. And he went through a, um, uh, a tough relationship thing that happened. And he told me that he started gardening. And it was the reason that he's still here today. And I thought that was really special. And... With everything I've said about oneness and lack of self, I think that's in gardening. This idea that this plant only thanks you by its own growth. And I think if I was to give anyone advice, it would be start a garden. Because you can get up in the morning and you can talk to them and you can say hello. And they grow and they live their own life and you just merely say hello and you merely give them their water and their food, to live their own life. Their thank you is themselves. And I think that is nice because I get to lose sense of self. I get to lose this need for gratification or thank you or anything like that. So I'm glad you asked. I think it's really important that people garden. And again, it's about the earth. It's about that one, the one thing we have. <laughs> Christian Sandic, where can people find you online? Oh, on my website. It would be christiansantic.com. Wonderful. Hey, thanks so much for chatting. Thank you so much. The House Conspiracy Podcast is produced at House Conspiracy by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. Mixing and editing by Tyler William Morrison. And music by the Reverend Isha Ramdas. If you'd like to support House Conspiracy, you can do so at houseconspiracy.org slash donate, and you can learn more about what we offer here at houseconspiracy.org. Thanks for listening.